You've met them before, I'm sure. So have I, you know, the kind of people that, no matter what comes their way, no matter what pressure, no matter what stress, challenges, difficulty, random events seemingly in life that slap them in the face, give them a moment, and they not only bounce back, but they're better for it. Somehow, they're stronger for it. They're like that wind-swept tree that sits atop a coastal range. And no matter what the weather system throws at it, from salt water to cold air to rain, no matter what nature throws at that tree, it sinks its roots down deep and it bends by the wind. And somehow, the storms make it stronger. It's almost as though that tree is laughing in the face of the storm because it knows that those challenges, those storms are not just to be survived, but somehow the storms make them stronger. Let's talk about that today. Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Ooh, you know what that sound is. Lighting up a beautifully constructed cigar. Been looking forward to this for a few days. I got just one of these. This is a San Cristobal Quintessence cigar. It is. It was rated 95. It was actually called the number three best cigar of the year by Cigar Aficionado in uh, 2021. That's pretty good, number three, because there's a lot of cigars out there. <laughs> it's kind of easy to figure out why this is so good. Mm, yeah. It's got genuine tastes of cocoa, cedar, and then there's an interesting aftertaste of um, kind of, it's kind of sweet, maybe like like molasses or something like that. And supposedly, as you get further into the cigar, it starts to have kind of a, I guess, a, a spicy kind of coffee beans thing. Maybe like a, maybe like a strong espresso with a, uh, like a Mexican cinnamon taste to it or something like that. Anyway, it's a Nicaraguan cigar classified as a medium to full body, which I kind of like. And uh, it has an Ecuador Habano wrapper. And they're a little bit hard to find, so I was only able to find one of them and wanted to share it with you. And I'm pairing it with something probably a little bit less sophisticated and uh, doesn't show up on very many award-winning lists, but it should. This is a... I'll pour a little bit here. There we go over one block of ice and I make these ice cubes at home and then uh, and they're about two inches by two inches square and I let them sit out for 15 minutes or so before I actually pour the bourbon over them so the ice starts to melt just a little bit and it gets crystal clear and it's just beautiful but the bourbon that I poured over it was actually made in Spokane Washington you may have heard of it before this is a small batch distillery straight bourbon 101 from dry fly this is great stuff it was aged three years that's the age statement 
on it, and it's a uh, hundred and one proof. That's why they call it Bourbon 101. It's a pretty light color for a bourbon. A nice, simple, kind of old school looking bottle that it's in with a picture of a fly, uh, like a fly fishing fly lure on the front of it with a hook. And uh, they make very good. Um, vodka so i'm told although you could put four or five vodkas in front of me and i probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference from one to the other and they make very good gin too so but their bourbon is great spokane's dry fly bourbon 101 i recommend this and it uh, it's quite simple i picked it because the cigar is not <laughs> it's pretty sophisticated the the cigar has a lot of different tastes in it and this dry fly bourbon let me give it another sip here with the cigar as the background mm-hmm you know, if you were to take an orange peel and I don't know, I don't know how you do it. Take an orange peel and burn it. But before it started smelling acrid, a little bit of hot orange peel. If you can imagine that, I don't know if there is such a thing, but imagine orange peel and, and marshmallow. Imagine those two tastes together. And then the aftertaste, it's like tea. It's like tea, maybe like pico tea or something like that. But of course, under it all is that wonderful, wonderful bourbon complexity. All right, so enough, enough about the cigar and the bourbon. I recommend both of them to you. They're quite good. If you like cigars and you like bourbon, run out and get one of each of these. In my decades-long study and passionate pursuit of understanding why people and small teams, small groups of people, and therefore the enterprises they create are resilient and why some are not, mostly for selfish reasons, <laughs> because I want to be one of those people. I like being around them. I enjoy how they think. I like the impact they have on society and on culture. And I just like them more than people who are brittle and people who are kind of fragile and stand in the corner and expect the world to be bubble wrapped so they never bump into any sharp corners. <laughs> Those are not my people. But in my decades-long pursuit of trying to understand, over the last few years, I've started to notice that there are some of these people, and then by extension, some small groups of people, by extension, again, some companies or organizations or enterprises or projects that are not resilient. They're something else. They are, I don't know, it's like they're beyond resilient. There's something about them. If I think of somebody who is resilient, I've just Describe that in several of our podcasts. I've talked about it quite a bit in our Built for the Storm series, which you can get a video version of that by going to hiltacademy.thinkific.com and you can buy that video class of that or you can back up and listen to some of our podcasts where I talk about being built for the storm and pick that up, of course, for free. If I think of people who are resilient and we've learned a lot about watching them and we've learned that they have intentionally designed their lives from how they think to what matters to them to their physical and relational and financial disciplines, that they have done that on purpose from time to time, I run into people who are even a little bit different. It is as though the folks I've studied are masters and have achieved mastery at being resilient. And then once in a while, I run across some people who are savants <laughs> in this arena of life. If the folks I talked about have master's degrees, these folks have got multiple PhDs. These are the folks who there's something that sets them apart. And here's what it is. There's something at the core of them that makes them say, 
bring it when it comes to challenge and difficulty and and protracted, even sometimes painful setbacks, chaos that might hit their lives or their company, unexpected perhaps or unplanned difficulties. There's something in them that that stands out on the bow of the ship in the storm with arms spread out wide and wind and water slapping them in the face. And they say, bring it, because they know something that other people don't know. Well, what is that? What is it that these people who are even more than resilient or beyond resilient, what do they know and what do they do? And so with great curiosity, I have wandered into their spheres and into their lives. And I I began to ask them lots of questions about how they think about, let's just use the word adversity, or let's use the word storms that come in life and specific storms to their businesses or their enterprises or their families, or sometimes all of that together, or storms that they've gone through because of the massive waves of injustice that have occurred around them. I wanted to know, as I began to ask these people, and I actually probably will ask these people these questions forever, (laughs) what are you thinking? (laughs) What is different about you? They don't necessarily think of themselves as all that different, but they think of the result of their lives probably as different than other people around them. And so it's difficult to get them to describe it, but over a protracted period of time, I've come to grab a few ideas that I want to share with you in this short podcast about how to be a person who welcomes, embraces, leans into the storms of life because you know that the storms, if you lean into them correctly, make you stronger. And they make, by extension, your family perhaps stronger. By extension, again, they make your companies, your business, your project, your people stronger. Well, what have we learned about these people? Let's just dive right in. Some of the first conversations that I recall having a few years back with these types of people were on the heels of significant and painful loss within their families and on the heels of perhaps months down the road afterwards, maybe in some cases a couple of years down the road after the loss of a family member. And those losses that were the most intriguing to me were the ones that were unexpected losses, not the loss of a 98-year-old grandmother who had been slowly declining for 10 years. And for her and for her family, although the losses felt deeply and great, it was a bit of a relief. Not that kind of loss, although I'm not minimizing that, that is, but the kind of loss where it was experienced in an unexpected way. Some might even call it a shock. Some folks have lost children or grandchildren, and I'm in the camp of someone who's lost a child. And my oldest son, Christopher, was lost to us through a brain aneurysm. He was 24 years old at the time. It was a profound, as some of you might be able to imagine, and profound shock and profound and deep, deep experience for us. And some of you have experienced that or something like that. So I was so intrigued to get around people like that who had gone through that kind of experience and just listen to them and just have the chutzpah to ask them questions that perhaps they'd been asking themselves or or questions that other people had had but never had the uh, opportunity or the courage or the audacity <laughs> to ask them these questions out loud. And here's one of the first things I began to learn, that that these folks who are beyond resilient are people who are characterized by a deep, rich thankfulness, a deep, 
rich level of gratitude. They speak freely and openly with me about the loss that they experienced, whatever that loss was, like the one I mentioned or others. And while they're not thankful that the loss occurred and would never make that leap, they get right up next to it and they say they are grateful that they had the experience. They are grateful that that storm came their way because they learned that through the storm, they grew stronger. They grew deeper. To borrow a phrase, instead of experiencing PTSD, as in post-traumatic stress disorder, which we have studied deeply and intensely and have great compassion for folks who have suffered from or are suffering from that disorder, these folks have PTSG, post-traumatic stress growth. Now, now walk with me in this because it's very subtle and very sophisticated, I think. To be able to have experienced a storm of epic proportions and be just on the other side of it or way on the other side of it and be thankful for the storm while not being thankful for the thing that caused the storm, in this illustration, the loss of a child or grandchild, or in other illustrations, the loss of a company or the loss of a position or the breakup of a deep and profound marriage or the loss of physical health or the loss of some capacity like sight or something like that, while not being thankful for the thing itself, the thing that was at the eye of the storm or that triggered the storm, these folks are deeply and profoundly grateful that they got to experience the storm because their experience was such that they came out of that unwanted storm and unexpected shock stronger than they were and not just a little bit but profoundly stronger than they were before the experience and i can attest to that myself and can for my family members as well we are profoundly different people as a result of the losses that we have experienced and one of these great changes is that we are like those folks who stand on the bow of the ship and welcome although we don't try to create these storms <laughs> that's weird but we welcome these storms with great enthusiasm and less fear than others who might just be merely and I don't mean to downplay that, but merely resilient or folks who are in some way able to just barely make it through, but they're okay. So that's the first observation, that there's a deep level of gratitude, not for the shock, but for the experience after the shock. Then there are, I don't know, eight or nine different ways that these people began to live after these great shocks occurred that set them up to be stronger after every disappointment or stronger after every setback. Let's just work through this list. And as I go through these nine characteristics and behaviors and ways of thinking with you, ask yourself, do I do this? Is this me? Is this the way I live? If not, then pick one of these that does not describe you and begin to work on it right away. Here's the first characteristic of a person who leans into these storms and is better as a result. They have a simple life and they have deliberately worked to simplify their life on every level where simplicity can get traction from the kind of food that they eat to the complexity of their schedule to how many pairs of boots they've got to how many toys they own 
on and on and on it goes. They pursue simplicity, not to the level of monasticism, but they pursue the least complex life that they possibly can. They pursue this on the level of their relationships so that they build simple relationships. They build simple sets of expectations around them. And like I said, they go through and make sure that they don't have too much of anything that they have to maintain and write contracts around, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> It's like they have landscaped their life in such a way that every plant, every bit of grass, every tree, every edge, every rock is put in place to require the least amount of maintenance. They're also, as they pursue simplicity, folks who are not bound by rules as much as others. They are more bound by, motivated by even, principles. Rules, for example, would be, I must slash we must do A, B, C, D, and E must follow all these rules. Principles, then, by contrast, are the reason why the rules were created in the first place. A quick example of that would be, I really, really enjoy being on time for everything. I like being on time for all of my meetings, for all of my phone calls, for my Zoom calls or Microsoft team meetings, for dinner with the family. I like being on time. For me, it's a bit of a game. There was a point in time where that was a rule. You must, if you have an appointment, to talk with someone on, on the phone from one of your enterprises at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, you must be on the phone at exactly 9 a.m. Eastern Time. That's a rule. Compare that with the principle behind it. Well, why would I want to be on time? Well, because I respect other people's time. I respect them, their investment of time, and I appreciate how important their time is to them. And so the principle would be to respect their time and respect them. The rule would be call them at exactly 9 a.m. Eastern Time. In operation, in daily functioning, what that means then is that I'm not bound by the rule to call by 9 o'clock. But if I'm going to be two or three minutes late, I will reach out in advance via text or some other way and say, I'm going to be two or three minutes late. Is that okay with you? It's the principle that guides and not the rule. You can probably think of many other illustrations of that. You get the idea. So the first, the first thing is that those people who lean into the storm, they're not just built for the storm, they thrive in the storm are folks who work actively on every level to simplify their lives. And I know that's hard because we are a part of a, a marketplace that tries to get us to buy more, do more, constantly add and add and add to our lives. So it's a challenge. The second characteristic of a person who leans into these storms and embraces them is what I call expect the wow. Now look at the word wow, W-O-W. -W. In my mind, it's an acronym and it stands for winds of weirdness. <laughs> These people expect that things are going to be a little weird every day, that nothing is going to go exactly according to plan, and that on a granular level and occasionally on a grand level, the winds of weirdness are going to blow strong in these parts. And since they expect that, that winds of weirdness dynamic to occur, it doesn't rock them nor does it shock them. They tend to be people who, when something is canceled or something is added or something comes in sideways or something is much harder or much faster or much slower than they expected it to be, when they thought someone would come in and support their idea, but that person's having a bad hair day and they show up and they're angry about everything, this dynamic means that if I'm to be one of those people, I will lean into that and say, all right, that's the winds of weirdness. What can we do with this and embrace it? Here's the third characteristic of people who lean into storms. They try new things 
a lot, almost daily. They're always trying something new. Now, these are small things. It's as though they're experimenting with things to keep their curiosity alive, to enable them to take small risks that won't sink the entire ship if it fails. They try new things, from new food to new ways to drive to work to new ways to manage their schedule. They like to try new things. They're developing new skills, small and large. They like to experiment. And so that keeps alive in them this attraction to things that are unknown and things that are unexpected. The fourth characteristic that almost all of these folks over the years have demonstrated is about eggs. Eggs in baskets. You remember your grandmother said to you, don't don't put all your eggs in one basket there, Sonny. You remember that, don't you? Well, they actually practice this. They make sure that they don't put all of their valuable investments, whether they are relationships or whether it's how they use their time or it's investment of money in one basket. They are careful to spread out their risk so that there's not one place where everything, everything has to go right in that one area for life to be good. They spread out their risk. These people tend to have multiple sources of income, by the way. They may have their job or their main job, but they also have another one over here and another one over there. We've come to call those side hustles, but it's really more than that. They just have an understanding that we live in a world where the winds of weirdness blow strong in these parts from time to time. And so instead of being so riveted to one source, one egg, one basket, for example, they know that they should probably spread that out. The fifth characteristic is that they are not consumed by data. They're not immersed in the daily news and in all the subtle machinations of what's going on in society around us every moment of every day. These folks tend to not be purveyors of gossip. They tend to not be folks who are in the know about all the subtleties that show up and the not-so-subtleties in uh, social media, for example. They're not consumed by tons and tons of data that can be turned into information. They just get the data that they need and turn it into information that they need. They may be folks who haven't heard of that latest reality TV show yet. They haven't heard of what's gone on with the Jenner family or what's happened with the Smiths down the street. They just may not know that stuff because they're not voraciously consumed by meaningless data. The sixth and really powerful characteristic of these folks who stand out and lean into the storm are folks who resist comparison. They do not compare themselves to other people. We've talked quite a bit about that in some of our other podcasts or, again, over on the Hilt Academy YouTube channel. You can find some, some conversations about that as well. But comparison is just toxic to the soul, and they know this. So they don't compare themselves to other people. They compare themselves to themselves and where were they yesterday or last year, but not to other people because it's apples and oranges, or in some cases, it's apples and sticks. <laughs> Why? Why waste time and energy comparing yourself to someone else? The seventh characteristic of people who stand out on the bow of the ship and embrace the storm is that they grow, but they do so first by pruning they take away, when they want to grow in any area of life or enterprise, what doesn't work first, making room for what does work. They grow by pruning. This applies in many arenas of life. Let your mind just wander where you could apply it to relationships, to finance, to health, to your prayer life. If you're a person of faith and you pray, grow by pruning. 
Cut off those things that really do not matter. Cut off those things that maybe feel like they matter, but they just don't work. They add noise, but they don't add value. So these folks grow by pruning. You you get a theme going on here? Here's the eighth one. They're very respectful of the wisdom of others, but they add more value to old wisdom than to new wisdom. They are not in pursuit of the next new thing that will answer a question. They are much more impressed by the old tried and true. They don't necessarily have all the newest fads in how to lead people, how to communicate, how to resolve conflict. They just look at the old stuff and they know it's tried and true. That doesn't mean they don't have updated cell phones. It doesn't mean they don't have airbags in their cars and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it comes to the wisdom of life, that stuff's been around forever. And here's the last characteristic of these folks. They play the long game. They're always looking down the road and they realize that this storm, this shock, this setback will actually move on no matter how intense, no matter how strong, no matter how powerful, disappointing, painful the storm may be, it'll pass. They know that. And along with that, they always think about when they make decisions, they almost always think about, then what? If I do this and it satisfies some need right now, then what? What happens if I get what I want? Well, then what? What happens if we stop that over there? Well, then what? Some folks have called that in social sciences the second-order consequences. Then what? If I do this, it may have a great consequence, but then what? An example of that might be um, I get up fairly early every morning, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, work out almost every morning, and this morning I did not feel like working out. (laughs) You may feel that every morning. But in fact, let me be honest, I feel like that every morning. I don't jump out of bed and think, I want to sweat. No, I feel like in the morning I want to sit down and read very slowly some light-hearted novel or something like that. That's what I feel like doing and stare at the same page for an hour while I slowly sip coffee. That's what I feel like. But this morning when I got up and realized I just don't feel like working out, I applied this second order of consequences rule. Or the question, then what? If I don't work out this morning, if I skip my workout, then what? Well, my energy level throughout the day will probably be lower than it would have been had I worked out. Well, then what? Then I will not be able to listen quite as well. Then I will not be quite as curious. Then by the time I come home at 6.30 or 7 or 7.30 at night, I will probably not be very patient. (laughs) Then what? Well, feel free to answer that question on your own. (laughs) But instead, in that flash, by the way, it wasn't a long thought process because I've practiced this then what, playing the long game for many years. I realized that, okay, let's look at the other option. What if I do work out even though I don't feel like it? It doesn't have to be the most epic workout I've ever done. I don't have to step out of the workout and be just swollen and just like I can step onto a magazine cover. No, it, it just needs to be a little bit of a workout. Because if I do a little bit of a workout, get my heart rate up, spend 45 minutes, then what? Well, then my energy level will be higher throughout the day. Then I'll be more patient with folks throughout the day. I will be able to listen a little bit better and I'll be a little more creative throughout the day. And then when I get to 8.30 at night, which is the time right now, (laughs) on a Thursday evening, I will have the energy 
and the creativity to share this really important stuff with you. Huh. All right, there we have it. Those are the nine. They simplify their lives. They expect winds of weirdness. They try new things every day. They don't put all their eggs in one basket. They are not consumed by the noise and data of life. They resist comparison. They grow by pruning first what doesn't work. They respect the old, the tried, the true. And they play the long game by asking, then what? This is the set of disciplines, habits that follow, even mental models that set you and I up to be these people who are more than resilient in some way. Let me leave you with a picture as we come to the end of this conversation. Now, I live on the West Coast, and close to the West Coast anyway, and uh, I'm, I'm actually inland a little ways on what's called the Olympic Peninsula in the state of Washington. There's coastal water everywhere, tidal water everywhere, actually, to be more precise. And I live at sea level, and I can turn around and look right over there, and the, and the snow-covered peaks rise about 3,000 feet. They've got snow on them 11 months out of the year. And I turn and look over that way, and there's water right there. And so I'm at sea level and back over there are the mountains. And it is a stunningly beautiful, beautiful place. If I hop on my motorcycle and ride just a little ways out that direction, you can't see me. I'm pointing to the west, okay? And end up on the coast. Let's pick a place. You could find it on a map. Right up at the north, kind of the tip of the state of Washington. And I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean facing west and I'm on the beach. If I turn then look at the first ridge, there are trees on that ridge. And you've seen these trees before that have been there for 30 or 50 or 200 years in some cases. They're not very tall. They are windswept trees. Because they are on the ridge and they face storms every few days and intensity of weather, their root system is bigger than it would be had they been inland. Like right now in my piece of property, I've got 150-foot cedar trees that don't experience as much wind and intensity as those windswept trees out on the beach experience or up on the ridge by the beach. Their root system is deeper and bigger, and some have suggested that their root system, based upon how tall the tree is, is two to three times larger than you would expect it to be. And the tree is not quite as tall, and the rings are different. Or If you were to cut the tree open and look inside, the rings are more tightly packed together. And the tree has been bent by the wind. And the tree is stronger with every storm that comes along. The storm causes the tree to move and causes the roots to go deeper and causes the wood to be more flexible. That's what I'm talking about. That's you. Can I challenge you to become that kind of person? The kind of person who is on the ridge of life and the wind is not your enemy and the trauma, the stress of life that hits us from time to time, large and small, is not your enemy. I'm not saying you need to do anything to create it. <laughs> life will throw at us strong, cold, icy winds. And if we know that those winds, when we face them, when we lean in, when we've simplified our lives, when we trust in the old wisdom, when we do that, if we know that, then those storms will make us stronger. And although we'll never ask for the storms, we will not run from them either. I want to challenge you to be that kind of person, and I hope this connects with you in some deep way. 
Ah, oh, well, that was a lot. That was a lot. As of as when I look down at the timer on this, it's like 34 minutes. That's way too long. We're going to cut this way back. I'm sorry to my editor who's going to have to work very, very hard to make this shorter. But uh, my cigar went out. It always does. It always goes out when I start talking to you. I can't believe that. If you were here, it wouldn't have gone out because you would have been doing all the talking, not me. And the bourbon's almost gone. I cleared out the bottom of that bottle. I didn't start with a full bottle, for the record. It only had about two shots in the bottom of it. And now I'm down to one shot. I think I'll enjoy the rest of it right here and get on with the rest of this delightful, beautiful, awesome thing called life. Here's to you. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.